Welcome back to the final episode of City Hall Pass. I'm Capel Longani, counsel to the mayor of New York City. For over 40 episodes, me and my co-hosts, Bess Chu and Kate Coughlin, have introduced you to some of our city's brightest leaders and trailblazers. Agency commissioners, deputy mayors, elected officials, presidential cabinet secretaries, and titans of their respective industries all took the time to talk to us about their inspiring professional journeys and share intimate anecdotes about their life. We created this forum over a year ago during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic to connect you with your city government and take you behind the scenes of our day-to-day -day work at City Hall. I hope that these conversations were educational and gave you a unique insight into your city. I also hope that the powerful and candid personal stories that our guests shared have inspired you in the same way they inspired us. In our final episode, Bess, Kate, and I reflect upon City Hall Pass's evolution and relive some of the podcast's most memorable moments. But before we turn to that conversation, I wanna thank a few people. First, I wanna thank our guests for taking the time to join us. Second, I wanna thank Bess, Kate, and Stathi for joining me on this exceptional ride. And finally, but most importantly, I wanna thank all our listeners for coming along on this journey. We hope you enjoyed our conversations as much as we did. It has been the honor of a lifetime to serve as counsel to the mayor of the greatest city on earth. And I thank you for listening to our final episode of City Hall Pass. Capella, I remember when Kate, you and I spoke about this idea of City Hall Pass. But can you tell listeners a little bit about how you came up with this idea of doing a podcast? Yeah, it's interesting, Bess. I think I would start by going back to the timing of this. When we thought about the podcast, it was really at the heart of the pandemic. And people were feeling very isolated. There was a real palpable sense of fear. But there was also a real thirst for information. People wanted to know what was going on. And when we came up with the idea for the podcast, or when I was thinking about it initially, it was about giving people a sense of what was happening behind the scenes in City Hall. You know, I wanted them to feel what we feel every day in this building, right? A sense of wonder, a sense of what it is like to be at the nerve center of New York City. But we also wanted it to be timely, educational. And I think that's why it was really important to have guests like Jay Varma, Mitch Katz, Dave Choksi, people that were really at the heart of the pandemic response and were able to assure people that, that things were going to be okay. We also wanted this to be a place where people felt comfortable. People would trust us and talk to us in a way that other traditional mainline journalists wouldn't get them to be able to open up. And so... That was the kind of general idea. I felt from the very beginning that we would be able to get people to talk to us in a very intimate way about their life, about their journey, to get to the point that they have, but also to educate people. Yeah, I think I remember, you know, you texted us on July 4th. I remember that very clearly and said, what if we start a podcast? And, you know, we had just come out of the spring of COVID and really challenging time. But I think during that time, we'd also learned the power of messaging and how to message clearly to New Yorkers. And I thought that was, you know, something really important and something our team really hadn't done before until COVID, you know, through FAQs, through our Twitter, through videos, really getting a message out. And I think the podcast was one more way that we kind of learned the value of messaging. Yeah, I, mean, I, think, I think that's right, Kate. I mean, I'm glad you reminded me of the fact that we were in the midst of transitioning in our own role in our day role, you know, our, our, our day jobs, 
which is, you know, counsel to the mayor. We, of course, did this in addition to our day jobs. At like 7.30 in the morning or on weekends like we are here today. Yeah, in our day jobs, which are our night jobs as well, working 24-7, especially during that time and over the last almost two years, really. It is true that our team evolved dramatically and became far more public-facing. And the podcast fit perfectly into that. For frequently asked questions that millions of people in this city read, to the newsletters that we did, to our podcast and eventually our TV show. I think all of these were educational at their core. Uh, I think the initial focus was bringing on the best public servants in New York City. But as the podcast went on, I think we began to see during the recovery of New York City how important the private sector was to the recovery as well. So we expanded to include really people that represented the best of New York City. Current and former cabinet secretaries, newsmakers like Barry Burke, the current number two person of the state, Catherine Garcia, current and former deputy mayors, current and former commissioners. I mean, it truly was a broad swath of people that covered every single power source in New York City. That wasn't by accident. That was something that took a lot of thought and energy to bring people on. You know, I think we'll talk about this later, but part of our journey in doing this was figuring out not only what guests would be good on the show, because at the end of the day, it's enter- it's, this is entertainment, right? If it's not interesting, even if it's educational, people aren't going to listen. So you had to get the right people on to convey the message, particularly when it was educational. But you also had to prepare those guests to succeed. And I think that was something we learned, not initially, but through trial and error. You know, I think we started, Kapal, you were saying that, you know, this started really related to the pandemic. And we did start with, I think, this focus of having our public health you know, officials come and talk to people in a different forum. But it really gave us an opportunity to talk to what I would say are a lot of unsung heroes of the city, whether they be, you know, commissioners or folks who are leading the city in recovery or through the pandemic in other ways, which was really cool. It's, it's about vision, right? With any great idea, there are going to be people who just don't see the vision until you actually prove it. And I think that's what happened here. Nobody in City Hall had conceived of something like this particularly coming from a bunch of lawyers. We're not comms experts. We're not press experts. That's not our training. We're trained to be traditional lawyers, right? Although in our roles, we're anything but traditional. We're very creative, thinking out of the box type of lawyers who deal sort of wear two hats, policy hats, as well as legal hats. And I think it was unusual for people like us to come up with this idea. I think for us, it fit into how we view ourselves and how creative and innovative and different our staff is. What was fantastic is our guests from the very beginning got it. Every single one of them, from Emma Wolf to Jay Johnson, Catherine Garcia, Danny Meyer, Lin-Manuel Miranda. I mean, you name them. They came, they were terrific. They treated us as if we were real professional podcasters. And I felt we did our best to show them that same respect. But it was, in my mind, surprising, at least initially, 
how much people respected us. Over time, as we taped episodes and our reputation preceded ourselves in terms of how we treated our guests, I sort of came to expect that. But in the beginning, it was refreshing how much our guests were willing to reveal about themselves and how much trust they put into us. Well, why do you guys think people trusted us? Yeah, so I think, um, Capel, to your point, I think one of the reasons that people trusted us and this was something I really struggled with. And I remember early on, you kept saying, like, you need to get a little, give a little bit of yourself because the only way people open up is, you know, hearing your personal stories and they relate to that. And what I found a lot of times was that, you know, someone would tell a story and that would, you know, trigger something in me. And I'd be like, oh, I, I relate to that. And Bess, that was the same for you. I think, you know, someone was talking about, like, what what did they do when they just needed a few minutes to step away from like the crisis of the pandemic? And I think you mentioned something about maybe walking in a park. Oh yeah. I think that was when we were talking to deputy mayor Bean who oversees parks and recreation. I remember talking to her about this, how, you know, during the pandemic when we were all locked in our houses and me and my really tiny square box of an apartment and working 24 seven, literally, I still remember making the schedules for our team where we were staffing every single day especially on the, you know, the weekends and making sure we had full coverage, that the one thing that I really, I guess the positive or kind of silver lining to the pandemic was that it actually made me appreciate a lot of things, including our city parks. And it turns out that the deputy mayor and I both enjoy not just parks, but walking through the city when it's a little bit quiet outside. So that was really nice. Yeah, I think some of it goes to our prior existing relationships with them. But I also think a lot of it was the work that went into prepping them and then making them feel very comfortable when they walk through the door. Any th The reason that the professional shows are able to get people to open up, the good ones like Oprah and people like that, is because they get to know their guests both on and off the camera. And I think, or on and off the microphone. And I think we did that with our guests. We would talk to them before we started taping. We would talk to them after we stopped taping. We would talk to them, you know, in the days before they came on, in the days after they came on. And so I think, generally speaking, there was a sense with our guests that we had their best interest at heart, that we were not there to embarrass them, that we were there to get the truth. We were, we, but we wanted that truth to be in their own words. We wanted to give them an opportunity to talk about their lives and be introspective in a way that most media outlets aren't gonna give you because A, that negative news does, is what sells, not positive news. And there aren't many formats where you can actually spend time diving into somebody's life for an hour at a time. Taping this podcast was not without some difficulties. There were several moments that I can remember where we were pulling our hair out and wondering why we did this to begin with. Bess, do you have any particular moments that gave you some gray hairs? Yes, I do have a particular moment. And it was when we were interviewing the eminent Clive Davis in preparation you know, to, to talk about the homecoming concert as part of New York City's recovery. You know, Mr. Davis was so gracious with his time. I mean, obviously he's very busy. He was doing a lot of interviews. We scheduled him for 30 minutes. We had a very tight schedule. He had people you know, setting up his, it was virtual, so it was via Zoom. And we had, he had someone setting up on his end. I couldn't hear them, but they could see me. So I was trying to read their lips. Kate could hear them, but couldn't see them, and they couldn't see her. 
Capel, I don't even know what was going on with your laptop. I mean, we started talking to him three minutes in. I can't remember if everything malfunctioned or suddenly like half of us were on, half of us were off. He was like sitting there being like, I don't know. All I could hear was, all I could see was him like gesticulating and me like trying to wave back at him. But he was so gracious. And I remember, I think like, you know, 30 minutes later, Kate and I were huddled around Capel's computer interviewing him again. And he was like, you know what? That first time, I don't think it went that well. Why don't we just start from the top? <laughs> I was like, all right, this guy's a professional. But yeah, I was, I mean, honestly, I was so embarrassed. But he was extremely gracious and we had such a lovely conversation. And it was so fun to talk about New York's recovery, you know, and, and all the great things that were going on around the city and all the great people who were coming together to basically, you know, get New York to like our next phase. What about you, Capel? What was your like, oh, hmm. Yeah. So I think there were a lot of episodes that were, that gave me gray hairs as well, Bess. But I think the one that I remember very clearly was John Mara, the eminent owner of the New York Giants. I grew up listening to Giants games on my transistor radio. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. And I remember listening. I mean, one of the few possessions that we had was this like little transistor radio. And I remember listening to those games, never in my wildest dreams imagining that I'd get the chance to interview the owner of the New York Giants. John Mara is actually a, a lawyer and a very good lawyer. And it was, it was great to be able to talk to him. So it was great to have him on. And we wanted everything to be perfect. And of course, nothing was perfect that day. And I remember at the end, all of us sort of like in my tiny office on four or five different laptops, the echoes were like astounding. It was like we were in the Grand Canyon. And yet, like Clive Davis, John Mara remained really calm. But yeah, that, that will stay with me long after you know we leave these jobs. But speaking of creativity... And I think the opposite of a, oh crap, kind of moment. There were a couple of moments that I think really brought us joy. But one sustaining, I think, piece of this podcast that brought Capel and I to joyful tears, I guess maybe sometimes, and other times just straight joy, was Kate, when you started doing the songwriting and singing at the end of some episodes. I mean, that was so creative. And even now, I mean, whenever you do one of those, I never know what you're going to say. And I always want to just like hold it really tight and remember it because I just think it's so fun and creative. Or I guess what kind of inspired you to start doing that? First, it started off with a wordplay and then somehow it evolved into songs like for Deputy Manor, Mayor Hartzog, Total Eclipse of the Hartzog, for PC, Shay, 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 Shake It Off. I honestly don't know how I would come up with the songs except like I would hear someone's name and the song would just like come to me yeah, like yeah, for yeah. our team I did a song inspired by Billy Joel we didn't start the fire and again that just like I was walking into my soul cycle class and it just like came to me so Bess we've had a lot of really famous people walk through these doors here in City Hall everybody from Danny Meyer Catherine Garcia Dan Nigro Clive Davis John Miller, Jamani Williams, Eric Gonzalez, Kathy Wild. I mean, just a who's who of, of New York City politics and, and power brokers. You know, current FEMA administrator, Deanne Criswell, 
Secretary Jay Johnson. I mean, it really was a who's who of New York City power brokers. Were you ever starstruck? I think starstruck probably isn't quite the right word for me. I think I've definitely fangirled, but it's been more over, I think, the tremendous woman leaders that we've interviewed. I mean, I've just been so incredibly... I think, impressed and motivated, inspired by the conversations we've had with folks like Catherine Garcia, with Deputy Mayor Bean, with, I guess now she's current you know, FEMA administrator, but former Emergency Management Commissioner Deanne Criswell. These are all people I think I've looked up to in my job and having the opportunity to talk to them, having the opportunity to learn from them, even if it's just a tiny bit of mentorship that I can take away and learn how to be a good role model for others who might come behind me. And from folks who have positions that I might want to have in the future, I don't think I'll ever become a firefighter like Commissioner Criswell, but I take deep inspiration from all these great women we've had an opportunity to talk to. And I know Kate has as well. So I think, you know, we all have episodes that really stick out uh, to us individually. For me, it was Deputy Mayor Englund. I worked really closely with her through my six years in this office. But, you know, I never, I didn't know that much about her personally, except for her deep love of Elton John. So it was really nice to have a podcast with her, sit down and learn a little bit about her background and her parents and how they really influenced her to go into public service. Kapal, what was your favorite episode? I mean, that's a hard question because I know many of these guests really, really well. But there are a couple that really stand out. I thought it was really interesting. I did one solo interview during my time here, and that was with Errol and Sally. Errol Lewis, the famous journalist on New York One, and Sally Goldenberg, the terrific journalist with Politico. It was really fun to turn the tables on them and have them talk about government, why they've invested their lives in reporting about city government, why it's so important to them, and and just inquire why they were so good at their jobs. Because honestly, I looked at it kind of like a tutorial. I was trying to get tips so that I could get better. I thought the John Miller episodes were great. It was John Miller, of course, has the distinct honor of being the only person who we gave a two-part episode to because there was so much good stuff there. For those of you who are in the 18 to 34 age group, you may not remember that John Miller used to be on 2020 um, with Barbara Walters back in the 80s and early 90s. 2020 was the number one news show in America. There was no CNN. There was no MSNBC. It was a big deal. It came on, I think, Friday nights at 10 o'clock. Still might be on Friday nights at 10 o'clock. I don't know. But John Miller co-hosted with the legendary Barbara Walters and told some amazing stories. And so I, I, I loved and I think it was if we were going to honor him with one guest with two episodes, I think John Miller was the right person. I also loved hearing Dan Nigro. I, I thought that was a really emotional episode. Hearing him talk about 9-11 was something I won't forget. Hearing some of our most senior people like Dean Fullahan, people who don't talk about themselves or have a really hard time, frankly, talking about themselves because they are very humble at heart. It was fascinating to hear them take a few moments to do that. And, and I'll remember those moments. I think there were two guests in particular where when I heard their background and sort of them talking about their background, it just, it sort of gave me a real clue as to why they were so successful. It just fit. It was a fact that I didn't know about them that just fit and gave me a much better picture of how this person was 
where they ended up, like how they ended up there on their journey on part. But the two people are Eric Gonzalez. I remember him talking about when he walked into a courtroom when he was a kid and he saw that nobody there looked like him. That was the moment in his life that sort of put him on this road to becoming the first Hispanic, you know, DA in, in you know, Brooklyn's, and I'm, I think probably one of the few Hispanic DAs in the entire country. And so that was, that was something that really, especially as a lawyer, you know, left a mark on me. And then I know Bess talked about Deputy Mayor Bean earlier, but I thought Deputy Mayor Bean's background growing up in this coal town and the position that she holds now and that journey to that position and how supportive she is of equality as it pertains to zoning and her commitment to environmental issues, it made a lot of sense when you think about where she came from. So we interviewed over 50 people, leaders, industry titans, entertainers, politicians, and even restaurateurs, religious people. I mean, we really ran the gamut. And I think focused on getting the people who exemplified the very best of New York City. What are the most important lessons you learned from these great figures? So, you know, we, we interview leaders and managers, and I manage a small team now, but the goal for myself is, you know, to manage a large team and to be like you, Capel, to be like the boss, be in charge. And so something, you know, I was always looking for in, in these episodes was, what leadership skills can I pick up? And I, you know, I try to pick them up everywhere I go. Capel, you know, you're always pushing your team to uh, think outside of their comfort zone and work outside of their comfort zone. Bess, you're really good at, you know, just picking up the phone call or having a brief meeting to check in on people. A reoccurring theme that I saw in women leaders that we interviewed was that we heard over and over again when they discussed leadership, how important it was to get to know everyone on your team. I think Catherine Garcia said, you know, she knew that someone had a Peloton bike. Uh, Deputy Mayor Englund talked about the individuals on her team Women leaders really focused specifically on getting to know the people on their team and learning about them and learning about their families, which maybe sounds intuitive, but it was only something that the women mentioned. So that's something I've really thought of and I will always take with me is, you know, when you're managing a team, you have to manage their personalities, but you also have to learn about their background and what makes them tick. I don't think it's similar, but I guess my takeaway was you just have to go for it. Right. Like with all these people who have gotten into the positions that they are in now, many of them didn't imagine that this is where they would be. When they saw an opportunity to stretch their skills, they went for it and they did it. And I think that's something that we did here. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, I'm much more of a behind the scenes person. I'm not someone trying to get in front of a camera or in front of a mic. And I think being on this team, working with you, Capel, and you, Kate, You've both really encouraged me to, well, why don't you just try that out? And if it doesn't work out, then you know it doesn't work out and you, you know it for next time. But I think that was a reoccurring theme with a lot of the people we had an opportunity to speak with. And so I think that was my, my biggest takeaway is, you know, it's not just okay to take risks, it's good to take risks. I think that's a really, really smart takeaway. Because I, as you were talking, I was thinking that's spot on. Greatness is not accidental. It takes enormous work, talent, ability, but most importantly, it takes courage. And every one of our guests has enormous courage. They bet on themselves and they cashed in big time. And that's what I learned here. Nobody 
is going to pat you on the back and say you're incredible every day. In fact, a lot of people are going to laugh at you when you tell them what you want to do with your life. But these people persevered. I think a lot of people look to external places for validation. What these people showed me over and over is the only validator that matters is the internal validator. Do you think you can get this done? And anything that is worth doing in life, any person that truly wants to be great at what they have to do, what they're doing, have to do it differently, or you're not going to be the best. Then you're just a carbon copy of everybody else. And I felt best, that's what you always pushed me to do, is to be great, to think outside of the box, to push and push and push, even when you know people are laughing at you. It's an extraordinary place to be when you get to where our guests have gotten and they know that the bet that they placed on themselves is paid off. So we've heard each other talk for four years now, and we have spent many hours hearing each other during these podcasts. So as we come to the end of this journey, we've never shied away from being uh, very blunt with each other. So Bess, Kate, what do you think were your sort of greatest strengths here? I mean, I, I'll ask Kate what she thinks about you, Bess, and maybe Bess, you could talk about Kate. But what did you see in terms of Bess's growth over the last 50 episodes? At first, you know, this was true for all of us, but, you know, she was maybe hesitant to chime in and very hesitant to share anything personal about herself. But Bess, you have these really great personal connections to a lot of these folks because you're a lifelong New Yorker. So I remember when Commissioner Negro was speaking about his 9-11 experience, that turned out to be like a really touching moment between you and the commissioner because then you shared your 9-11 experience and how it both affected you. And I think the more you gave of yourself, which again, like it's so challenging to share about yourself, but the more you gave about yourself, the more you kind of grew and the more you got the listener to open up and share as well. You know, I think it's somewhat similar for you, Kate. I mean, one thing that I thought you really developed over these last, you know, 50 episodes or 40 something episodes was your ability to really engage with the guests and ask really good follow-up questions that didn't necessarily come from something we prepped, but just came from what the guests were saying. And I think what you said earlier about you giving a part of yourself and you sharing your stories helped you make that connection as well. But you were really good at that. And I remember thinking, oh, I should learn to, I should learn to be better. I need to learn from Kate. Aw. Kapel, what did you find was your you know, biggest challenge? I think the hardest thing, as with most things in life, is finding your voice. It's really difficult in this medium to not question yourself constantly and to be secure in yourself. I mean, you are presenting yourself to ostensibly anybody who has access to the internet. And I think for me, I always question whether I'm good enough at something. I think this thing about imposter syndrome, it's, it's a real thing. And it's not false humility. It's a sense of, you know, is this worthwhile? Are we giving our listeners something that's valuable? And I think that's the question that I always answered. We work 18 hours a day. We are, we are never off the clock. And so to take time out of 
whatever remaining time we have left in our lives. I mean, we are taking away time from our personal lives to do this in addition to our day-to-day duties. And so for me, the challenge was always, is the time sufficient to put out a really high quality product? And every time we would do a show, we would always find a way, even if it was 11 o'clock at night. And I know Bess, Kate, Stathi, I know there were numerous times, I'm sure that they were annoyed that I was forcing the issue, asking people to get on conference calls at 10 o'clock at night to talk about what we just went through. But I felt that our listeners deserved that. If we were going to put it out, the listeners deserved a top quality product. You know, as this podcast grew, Capel, you had the vision to see that this could be more than a podcast. And we transitioned it or evolved it into a TV show. Why is a TV show so important? Look, Bess, you know how I manage teams. One of the reasons that we have kept our team together for so long and have had so few people leave, our retention rate is really exceptional, particularly in a place like City Hall, is because we are constantly challenging people on this team to do things differently, to use different muscles, to be creative. We we ask them to do things that they're not used to. We want them to get outside of their comfort level. When I manage a team, I want everybody to feel a certain degree of discomfort, in this intellectual discomfort, in the sense that they are being challenged to do something they haven't done before. You're right to say it was a vision, right? Everything that we have done has been about vision. And we set a plan and then we operationalize that plan. And the reason for going to a TV show, a different format, is because nothing beats a visual, right? A picture truly is worth a thousand words. There are things that we see with our guests that other people can't because our audience can't because the format of a podcast is, is verbal and not visual. And so I felt that moving or at least adding an additional TV show to our podcast would give our audience another way to relate to our guests, to form that connection with them that we do. And the guests that we had on were terrific. And I thought the way that we related to them was very similar to how we relate to them in our day-to-day lives. And people seeing that connection, I think, was helpful to the audience in terms of understanding these people, but also in understanding us. I mean, they've been along with us. The audience has been along with us for, you know, as you said, over 40 episodes now. They've never seen us. I mean, they can go to our website, our Twitter page, and they can see our faces. We do have some videos. We've got ads in the city, on the subway. Sometimes you might see us on Staten Island Ferry, on the EDC Ferry, sometimes on Hulu. But they've never met us in person for the most part. And so, again, I think it was another way for them and us to get to know them. But finally... I thought it was a really great exercise for the three of us to exercise again our muscles in a way that we hadn't done so before and to take another chance, one that could have spectacularly failed. And one of the things that I take great pride in is when Karen, who along with Roland are also executive producers of our TV show and podcast, they work for the mayor's office of media and entertainment and have been with us on this journey, just fantastic partners came to us and said, you know, we'd really love to see a season two here. You guys have gotten so much better at this. Who is the best storyteller? I think Sheriff Facito. 
I think Jim Johnson was a really good storyteller. Oh, that's a good one. I also think Steve Banks was a pretty good storyteller as well. Steve had an exceptional career. You know, he's, of course, commissioner of the Homeless Services, DSS, uh, Department of Social Services. Really, really smart guy. He used to lead uh, legal aid. He was a lead attorney there, but really, really great storyteller. Uh, a lot of lawyers who came on our show, much better storytellers than I thought they were going to be. But yeah, it's, there, there truly is an art form in telling a story. Clive Davis was very good as well. Oh, very good storyteller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Hardest interview. I thought Dean was the hardest interview because I think Dean was... The first deputy mayor. Yeah, the first deputy mayor. He is not... I mean, he manages extraordinarily large agencies like NYPD and the Department of Education. We worked so closely together. And he's been in government his entire life. I've never heard him talk about himself personally. I really appreciated Dean sitting down with us, but it was not easy to get him to open up uh, about himself because he's a very humble person. That was the toughest one. Toughest to prep for? I think the more famous you are, the harder it is to come up with questions that are interesting, right? And the less somebody trusts you. So like if you have somebody like Zach Carter, who has been here, you know, has been every significant legal position in New York City he has held. Zach trusted us. We worked with him. And while Zach is a fairly public personality, there were still interesting questions that we could talk to. And it was very conversational. And Zach's always been a big supporter of us personally in our office. So that was fairly, you know, that was fairly easy. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you're right, Kate. You have someone like Lynn Manuel, Reverend Sharpton, you know, people that we don't know that well and people who are interviewed a lot. And so getting them to talk about themselves and to reveal something that they haven't revealed in you know, the 8,000 other interviews they've had during their career was not an easy task. So I, I, think, I think that's right. Those were the toughest to prep for. Okay. So if you had to have dinner with one of our guests, who would it be? Okay. So I think best dinner guest who – I actually have two answers. One is Marco Carrion because – as former commissioner of the Community Affairs Unit, he knows the city inside and out. And I feel like he knows all the nooks and crannies of where to eat in New York. So I would love to you know, go out to dinner or have a meal with him. My second, and maybe I would just combine these two together, um, is Clive Davis. Because I feel like you know, through his amazing you know, professional career, and all the people that he helped nurture um, in the entertainment industry, I feel like there'd be so much to learn from him. And I think he'd have such interesting, fun stories. And I'm sure he's been to a lot of dinners and so would know how to, you know, like keep things uh, entertaining. You know, we've talked a lot about the show, how it was formed, its vision, some of our favorite um, guests and some of the things that happened behind the scenes. And I'd like to conclude uh, by just asking Bess and Kate what their favorite moments were on the show or a favorite moment um, that in their mind encapsulates this journey. So I think one of the, or one of my favorite memories um, or one of my best memories in recording this podcast was I think waking up at like 5.30 or 6 o'clock one day and coming into City Hall, there was really like nobody here. I think we were here at 7 a.m. to interview Catherine Garcia, the former sanitation commissioner. 
And I was struggling, I think, with my, you know, huge, like, three, like, three cups of coffee or whatever it was. Um, but as soon as we started talking to Catherine, first of all, she was wide awake. Um, but as soon as we started talking to her, I was like, you know, I don't need this coffee. Like, this is so interesting. And it's such an engaging conversation. And being there um, or being actually here in this room where we are now in the cow um, with the two of you and with Catherine, I think it just really is a, a moment that's just like captured in my mind as a really fun and fun memory. So I think when we were filming Jan- or when we were recording Janelle, it was a really hard week for me and I was just tired and stressed and, you know, dealing with like life and dealing with work. And we were in the interview and I had this moment where I was like, wow, this is, I'm really enjoying this. And I'm really enjoying like my time with you, Capel and you, Bass and Stathi. And I, I really, it's not a moment, but it was one of those moments where I was like, this, this is something I want to be doing. This is something I really enjoy. And amongst all the other stuff that's going in, on in our lives and everything that's happening, like this is worth it. And I, I have just really enjoyed spending time with the two of you and Stathi. And I think we've all really bonded together. And it's just, it's been truly like a pleasurable experience. No treasure forever. Well, I'll just end by saying there wasn't one moment, but I, if, if I had to think about something, I remember when we interviewed Barry Burke. Barry Burke, the whole country knows him now. He was the lead cross-examiner during the Trump impeachment inquiry. Um, He was special counsel to the House Judiciary Committee. He came on our show and was really terrific. And as he was talking, I like Kate, I mean, I, I think it's true. Sometimes you zone out for a minute when people are talking and you sort of feel the moment. And I thought Barry encapsulated the very best of what we did on this show, which was to bring people that mattered to the public and expose them in a way, not expose them, but like allow them to be themselves and to show who they are, how talented they are. But the best part always for me were the moments that were unspoken, the moments when I knew what Kate was thinking or Bess was thinking I know there were many times that Kate and Bess thought I was crazy, uh, but I very much appreciated throughout this experience, whether I was crazy or not, um, they always, you guys always supported whatever vision I had and you contributed your vision. And when we would sit here hour after hour and think through these episodes and how to make them the best for the people of New York City. Those are moments I will treasure for the rest of my life. I don't know if I will ever do a TV show or a podcast again. Um, But one thing I know for sure, I will never enjoy doing a TV show or podcast as much as I've enjoyed working with the two of you. It has truly been uh, one of the great privileges and joys of my life, professionally, personally, um, to do this. And I never could have imagined in July of 2020 that that's where we would have ended up. And so as we sign off, I want to say thanks first and foremost to our listeners who have spent so many hours with us 
listening to us, listening to our guests, and I hope being really educated and inspired. Um, and I want to say my final thanks to Kate and Bess. I think we all know why this show worked. And Stathi as well, obviously. I want to thank the three of them. Um, Stathi heard us more than our own parents have probably heard us over the last three years and made us sound far better than we could ever sound um, without him. Um, but the real stars of this show um, were Kate and Bess. And I knew that every day I worked with them, but it was, I think, great pleasure for me to see um, them shine here and for them, um, for the public to get to know them as the counsel to the mayor, if and when our office is public, it's usually me out there. And it was wonderful to have their voices out there as well. And so as I sign off, I thank them for this experience because without them, um, this wouldn't have amounted to very much. And so um, whatever we have done, I thank them for coming along on this journey with me and making me so much better uh, than I am on any given day. Uh, and so I tip my cap to the two of them and I thank our audience uh, for coming along on this ride with us. Thanks for listening and supporting the City Hall Pass podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Office of the Council to the Mayor of New York City and the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at NYC Mayor Council to stay in touch with our team as we depart our service to City Hall. Take care.